Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Today we start a series on discussions about Latino fatherhood. Hoy me acompañan Camilo Smith, Edward Vidaurre, y Marcos del Hierro. Can you please um, introduce yourselves by name, profession, where you grew up, where you live now, and how you identify uh, Latino, Chicano? Okay, I'm, I'm Camilo Hannibal Smith. Um, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, a town called Linden, New Jersey, um, right outside of uh, of Newark and about 13 miles from Manhattan, New York. Um, I live now currently in Houston, Texas. I've been here for uh, almost a decade and I identify as uh, Latino. So I identify as uh, African-American and Colombian. Um, um, hi everyone, uh, my name is Dr. Marcos El Hierro. I am an assistant professor of English at Texas in San Antonio. Um, I'm originally, I grew up in El Paso, Texas on the border. My family's all from, from Ciudad Juarez mainly, but our like grandparents and before that are from the Chihuahua region and, and Durango. Um, and I am living in, in San Antonio. So I, I identify as um, Latinx, Chicanx, um, and indigenous. Hi, my name is Edward Vidaurre. I am a publisher and editor-in-chief of Flower Song Press. Uh, I grew up in uh, East Los Angeles, California, in uh, Boyle Heights. And I've been in Texas now, here in uh, the Rio Grande Valley uh, since um, 1999. And uh, I identify as a Latina. Bienvenidos, first of all, um, and I'm happy that you're here uh, as part of this discussion on Latino fatherhood. Can you describe your own family makeup? How many brothers or sisters uh, do you have, and are you the oldest or the youngest within within the family? I forgot to I forgot to add what I do. I, I'm I'm a journalist and uh, a photographer. Oh yes, of filmmaker. course. <laughs> And, uh, and I also teach at University of Houston. I'm, I'm oh, a, a professor there. Um, I I grew up, um, my family, I grew up with my father, my mother, and I have a sister. Uh, so the three of us. Um, and at one point, my father's mother and her two, uh, my father's mother and his sister and brother, younger brother, uh, lived with us. Um, I'm the oldest okay. of, of my siblings. Great. Marcos? And um, I'm one of one of three. Uh, I am the oldest. My sister is two years younger than I am, and then my brother's seven years younger. Um, and I grew up with uh, my biological mom and dad. I'm in a kind of like a Brady Bunch situation. Um, on on my, I'm uh, the middle child of three boys, and later on, um, in life, when my father-in-law uh, joined. He had three. He has three daughters. So then they came into the picture. So where do I fit in there as like oldest or youngest? Let's see. I'm I guess the second oldest, and then uh, I want to say one of my sisters, and then my younger brother, and then the other two sisters. 
So, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> um, how do you feel your heritage, you know, how you identified earlier, was part of the fathering you received? So I was, so I, I thought about this question because, um, so my father's black, he's African-American um, and he, he was a, um, he was an activist. He was part of the, uh, the Black Panther Party in New Jersey. And he worked very closely with um, groups that represent the Puerto Rican organizations and also um, the Young Lords. And so he had a, a very deep awareness of, of Latino culture. And he was, um, he, he was, he sort of, you know, was part of the culture, but, you know, being that the culture does encompass, you know, Af African roots as well. Um, he was, he sort of was, was part of that. And growing up, he would always highlight to me things that represented my duality and also things that represented, um, you know, the, the Latino side for you know, lack of a better word. So either, you know, if it was like, uh, you know, a Mil Mascaras movie, he'd be like, hey, check this out. This is Lucha Libre. You need to check this out. And this is part of your culture. Or, you know, he would make sure I danced when we go to parties. Um, you know, um, and and he, he would always highlight these things for me. So uh, growing up, I was always fully aware that um, even though I, I grew up in more of a African-American environment, I was always fully aware of uh, the Latino presence in, in my, my makeup and, and in my family. Um, Is more question? Oh, for, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> um, for, for me, it was, I, I think I grew up around, being that we were on a border town and most of the population was identified as Mexican or Mexican-American, um, I, I felt like I just, I had stuff around me all the time, but then we were also dealing with like, like issues like assimilation and upward mobility. And so like for, for my parents, um, they wanted to fit into American society. So, so it was strange because like, we didn't outwardly get told like, oh, you should hide these things about you or we don't need to like, like those conversations never really happened um, explicitly. But like when I went off to college, I had these these moments where I started to question like, okay, so why don't we why don't we ever talk about like the history of like labor movements or any of that stuff or like the struggle of of Mexican Americans and Mexicans in our in our in this country and our society. And it was I realized later that it was because my parents were trying so hard to assimilate and they they didn't want to like cause problems. They always talk about like, oh, we don't want to shake things up because um, they're made to believe like you know if you do that, the people that do that get punished or they lose everything or so like it, when I went out to college, I realized I had all this like heritage stuff that I carried with me just because it was just around all the time, but I didn't, it was never like pointed out to me, like the way that I do with my kids, where I tell them like, this is why this stuff matters or making sure that they know about like important um, activists like throughout history or stuff like that. Like we just never, that never, and it was also like this, this need for them to separate us from it would always be like, oh, the Chicanos, those are, you don't want to be like them. They're, and later on, I was like, no, but I, I, I do. <laughs> That's who I am. And they're like, no, you're not. You're not one of those. Um, and as far as our indigenous roots go, like we never, that never got talked about because that was, it, them coming from Mexico, being indigenous was, was you know, like, they would always say like, the indigenas are the people over there. It's not, it's not us. We're, we're Spanish too. And so they bought into like mestizaje in a way that made them feel like, they were of higher class, I guess. 
And so when I started asking those questions, they immediately wanted to shut those down because they didn't want me to, to know. And then later on, I'd come back and be like, well, it's kind of interesting that y'all are like so into all these indigenous traditions and cultures that you don't want to identify as indigenous, but yet you're doing them. They're like, no, this is just Mexican. And so, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yes, absolutely. Relate relatable, uh, especially in the ways that we um, think about indigenous groups in our in our within our Latino Latinx culture, right? So I I um I didn't grow up with my father, uh, but I grew up with uh, a stepfather, and um, his roots um, were Mexican. While my you know mothers and and my biological fathers were of uh, Salvadoran descent, but it seemed like growing up, our parents wanted us to embrace a, a new heritage, you know, kind of. Uh, like you know you know you're here now you know we're we're here we we have to you know find i guess find a way to be accepted and so i mean growing up it was a you know there was an identity crisis too because i i, I knew i was from el salvador my family but we were uh you know cast as mexican you know in school and at work and they they didn't it's not that people didn't know the difference. They didn't care to know the difference. They just uh, grouped us all as as one because Mexico, you know, right next door, you, you know, and the population was larger. Um, that's that's how we were grouped. So it was like um, the, the, the other difference was too, was that there was not a great, and still uh, at times there isn't a great relationship between you know the other countries uh, south of Mexico with Mexico, and so um, you know it, it's that you know fight and struggle that that we've had with our with our neighbors uh, of being accepted as well. And so what what did we embrace? What do we embrace? So when there were uh, the brown beret marches, you know, going down the projects where I lived, you know, my mom would tell me stay inside, close the blinds they're going to get in trouble, you know, be careful, you know, don't do that. It's, it's it, protest was a scary thing because in our country, protesting led to, you know, a death pretty much, you know, um, or incarceration. So not until, you know, I got older, um, did I like start making up, you know, my own mind on, on what to do, what to follow, what to resist, what to choose to be an activist towards. And so, you know, it, it, it was and, and still is something that that uh, is a struggle and um, a, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I would say like my brothers, um, they just, you know, go with the flow and, and, and accept the fact that they're here now, go with what mom used to say and, and dad used to say, don't get in trouble by by, you know, saying things that that will get you in trouble. So it, it was difficult to to really embrace something that they were telling you to not forget, but um, not shine a light on. You know, in other words, start a new heritage. You're here now. You know, you're 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 not gonna be white, but you know, you don't have to be so you know Central American or so Mexican for that matter. And and that's difficult. You know, that's difficult to to accept you know and and it's and it's something that our people still needed to get education on especially uh our, our you know our elders 
so yeah I, I still you know now as an adult I'm you know my daughter you know is more involved in in understanding and knowing even though I don't know completely but together you know it's something that 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 we need to work on mm. yeah that's interesting that you mentioned um the rivalry I don't know I'm a, I don't know if it's this feeling of us against them or who, you know, who was here first or what it is, right? And in California and the Salvadoran or Central American community and the Mexican community um, and trying to navigate those spaces, right? And that could be difficult uh, for for those, those communities. Um, right. I, I don't think it's who was here first. I just think, you know, getting here, we have to cross Mexico. And so there's there's a lot of uh resistance you know of of mexicans you know towards you know you know other brown people you know like a rivalry when i look at it like in sports the the you know our teams are never really that good in in central america but when they play mexico they they give it all and they want to beat them and to them if they beat mexico it's you know like winning the championship whether they lose every other game but and it, it is a, a history worth um exploring right because my own family um is from el salvador and we ended up being in mexico and i grew up in mexico but part of that history part of my history is my family erasing every trace of their salvadoran identity because they wanted to pass right as mexico right. so i wanted to ask uh how was your identity as Colombian, Col Colum uh, Afro-Latino, Black Latino, um, Mexican-American, Chicano, or Salvadoran-Mexican? Uh, how was that discussed? Or um, was that something, I don't know, it, it, uh, maybe it's through dance, maybe it's through food that sort of made you proud of being that identity growing up was that something they're like oh this is us right um so I don't know if you can think of an example of of that um I, I can just remember being being a child and that my father just explained to me he would say you're Afro-Colombian he, he was very proud of that and he would he would just he would tell me this about myself because going to school and trying to figure out who I was and um you know, it, it it was it was difficult because there weren't a lot of people like me at the time. I think now you have a lot more um, mixing of cultures, and you can find people who have uh, you know Afro Latino or African American mixed with Latino heritage now. Um, you know, there 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 are Blacksicans now that are that are you know well known um, in on the West Coast. Um, so I think the thing that would make me proud is you know when we would go to events, um, parties, or, or um, just events in general, where I would see people that, that look like me or that um, came from um, an Afro-Latino background. I'd see Black people speaking Spanish, uh, Dominican folks or Puerto Rican folks, because I grew up on, on, the, on the East Coast. Um, it would give me a, more of a sense of place um, and who I was. Um, even though I didn't specifically grow up in that environment, I was close to it. So I would, you know, I'd visit and, and see them. And I think also just um, just my mother, you know, pushing me to speak Spanish, that also sort of grounded me in the culture a little bit more. Um, but I, I'd say that the sense of who I was came from my parents telling me what I was, because I didn't I didn't really have a concept of it at the time. And I just want to add that just one thing I think is interesting is 
So, you know, my father was an activist and one of the first um, protests I ever went to was one in Washington, D.C. protest um, against the, uh, the war in El Salvador, the U.S. involvement in El Salvador. And so I, I just wanted to throw that out there. That was, that was one of the, the first uh, sort of things I did with my dad um, on, on that on that level of his activism. I, I'd say for me, it was, I think food was the big, the big thing because like, there's a big tradition in my family to make tamales for Christmas Eve. And it was like a, a, like my dad's side of the family, like everybody got together to do it. And my grandpa would passive aggressively yell at his, at my aunts and uncles to help um, or say things passive aggressively to them to help. They would all go hide. And us being the kids, we, we didn't know any better. So we'd be like, yeah, we want to help. And so they put us to work. And so over time that became like, oh, cool. Like realizing later on that, like that's that's oftentimes a, a family tradition around the holidays. Cause for, for us growing up, like you never ate tamales except when it was the holidays. And so like when I found out there were restaurants that sold them, I was like, really? That's, that's like, why? It's not Christmas yet. And so um, that, and then like eating like very traditional, um, we didn't eat out much because my, my mom was like, well, no, I'm, I'm, I take care of the house. You're going to eat here. And so like, we often ate, um, we never ate at Mexican restaurants. And so like realizing later on, like, oh, I, I ate a very traditional Mexican like diet and like, I didn't put cheese on everything. It wasn't until I moved to the other side of Texas that um, I, I learned that like you put cheese on, on Mexican food all the time. And so, or Tex-Mex. And so um, that helped me like think about also my identity. Like, wow, that's, that's interesting that, um, it wasn't like I didn't grow up eating at these places where they just, I, I love cheese. So I didn't have a problem with it later, but I guess it helped me like, I like understand like how it was that I was growing up a little bit differently than people who had been here for generations and that were like more Americanized than, than I was. Something that was very inspirational, I think, and, and, you know, inspire Orgullo is, is work ethic, you know? that's work ethic you know and and even though he was never around because he worked so much but when he was there and even though we were poor he, he never emphasized that there was a struggle but there's no struggle uh there's no orgullo without the struggle right um but but he he made sure that you know that we felt safe you know, there was always a, a party on Sunday, you know, uh, a carne asada and cerveza and everybody hanging out. I mean, it was just just that that work ethic was was in, incredible to me on, on. And I saw it in our culture and I saw it, saw it, you know, all over. And so that's that's an inspiration to me. Um, so you have um, talked a little bit already about sort of how you became aware, right, that you were. Latino, Chicano, etc. And I like what Camilo says. It's like, well, my father just told me you're Afro-Latino, right? Or Afro-Colombian. Um, and so I wanted to ask if there was um so there is that sort of telling and giving you the language, right? To 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 see yourself, to understand who you are, or your um, what your family is, or who who you are within the family. But is there any way that, um, or is anything, is there anything that you remember uh, as a child uh, growing up and thinking, oh, like this is really what it means? Besides, 
you know, like maybe throwing in the the, the terminology of Hispanic, Chicano, or, or Mexican American, or not Chicano in the case of Marcus, or like, is there anything growing up that you thought, oh, okay, this is this is who we are, or this is who I am, you know, within this the space or within the family? Yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, what I remember growing up, going to visit my um, my grandparents, my, my Colombian grandparents in Miami. Um, very very Latino space, um, or even visiting uh, Colombia as a kid. And and seeing um, and being in an environment where like you know meeting family, um, you know having long conversations with aunts and this is when I didn't even really speak Spanish too well, uh, and just being you know welcomed into those environments and and um, a lot a lot of my uh, Latino family lived in this place called Dover Dover New Jersey which is a place that had a huge migration of uh, Puerto Ricans Colombians. And Cubans, um, and when we go there to visit on weekends, I'd play with cousins and and really sort of, I think, feel, you know, what what that part of me represented, um, or or really be in touch. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but I think playing playing with cousins, visiting family, um, you know, the whole debate over whether we're going to celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, <laughs> like that always kind of. <laughs> blew me away because I had cousins that opened their presents, you know, on the 24th and not the 25th. So that kind of thing always, you know, made me sort of realize I was, I was, you know, part of something. Yeah, no, those are great examples. And you made me think, yeah, of course, like uh, we, we do, we have been celebrating Christmas on uh, Noche Buena, right? That's when we have yeah. our dinner. And then um, I have, uh, mixed family so we we also celebrated on the 25th so we just kind of added more <laughs> more days to celebrate right the the act of going back and forth across the border to Juarez and because and, my, my mom's side of the family um all this they still live all in, in Juarez and so we would go over to visit my grandparents and like anytime it's someone's birthday or for Christmas or any of that stuff um but then also like doing things in the space of, of Juarez in the city that you you would not do in El Paso. So like on my on my dad's side of the family, um there there's a, a I think one of, one of my great uncles was a bullfighter and he he had like a little bit of notoriety and so the family was very proud of that and like he got my grandpa involved and some of his brothers involved. And so like going to bullfights now now as uh, older I'm like oh it's actually really really brutal. I don't know how I feel about this. But like being as a kid, like being like told about the lore of it and like what it is and being in that space and knowing that this is not something that like was was common to most people, but also like not very common, like on the U.S. side. Um, and like even like just going across the border to like eat from eat um, enchiladas from like one like one of the, the stands at the at one of the marketplaces, doing those kinds of things and like understanding like, yeah, this is not something that that this is something very unique to to our to to who who we are and who we identify as and then at the same time also being self-conscious that my spanish is not as good as everyone else's and that i have an accent it's clear that i was growing up on the other side but but being under the protection of my parents and like my, my dad loves street food so we we would eat a lot of street food and so like 
being being able to do that like felt I don't know it was it was very different from the U.S. side and from El Paso and so um, I think like all the all the all the also just the act of being stuck in traffic on the bridge like there are certain smells now and sounds and um, when I look back I realize like I spent hours of my life just sitting in a car waiting for our turn to get back across the border and like falling asleep really late at night after going to a party and um, in a weird way that's part of our heritage like we have to keep doing that and like being being nervous like our parents being like make sure you say u.s citizen and say correctly like all that little stuff i guess it helps it helps um contextualize like like i guess my heritage in in a way so yeah i mean that's a great reflection marcos because i think about and maybe at that moment right you didn't really quite comprehend it was just something that you did with your family and then as adults I, I reflect on that right I reflect actually in, in 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 another way of the things that were kept from me right and why those choices were made in terms of my like Salvadoran heritage right so for me um when I realized you know uh that the rest of my family was different um it wasn't until uh, at a young age and, and throughout my summers, uh, my parents, my mom would send me to El Salvador for the summer. And, uh, you know, because she would be working and there would be no one to take care of us. And so she would send, you know, send us to El Salvador to be with uh, grandma and grandpa and tios and tias. And, you know, we learned a lot of, of, of what my mom was trying to, I guess, kind of forget you know, because she was in a new country. And so she wanted us to to learn again, you know, uh, you know, you're now here, you're an, you're an American citizen. And so this is, you know, where you need to, you know, start, you know, your life and, and, and not be like like me. And, and there's some, you know, sadness to to that in a way where um, I guess I'm first generation right in our family to be to be born in the United States. And so I go back to El Salvador and I and, and nothing's changed for them. They keep their heritage and their culture and their language and, and, and their creencias and everything. And so I was able to be there and, and, and see how they worked and how they ate. And, and I didn't see growing up the, the struggles uh, that, that my mom ran from. Um, and so as a kid, I, 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 I never wanted to come back. I always wanted to stay. I didn't want to go back to the United States because it was, it, I loved it there. I loved the smell of the earth there. I loved the food and I loved the, how family got together for breakfast, lunch, and, and, you know, and dinner. My aunt and uncle, they um, had a bookstore and so they would close it down to go home, have lunch, take a nap, shower, go back for a few more hours and then close to come back home and have dinner with the family. So it, it, back home, mom was working so much that we, you know, she would leave food prepared for us, you know, to to eat, uh, heat, recalentar and, and stuff like that. And so that's when I realized, you know, we're, we're, we could be different, you know, without changing things and, and, and keeping our own. We come to this country and we're the ones, we're the help sometimes that allows for others to continue tradition and we lose our tradition but we don't lose um you know that that um nostalgia when we do see it of of what 
what we should have. Mm -hmm. And so that that's when I knew that's when I knew we were different when I would go back, you know, to to uh, our country and 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 realize that we, we can be different and we are different, but we're choosing, you know, to do this instead. Right. I, I like how each of you actually did a or express that feeling of realizing that we, you know, you're different or you're, um, you know, belong within this culture um, in relation to to spaces or to geography, right? Like going to Dover, like you said, Camilo or Miami, right? And then crossing the border or going all the way to El Salvador, right? That's that's really interesting, you know, to hear the connection with all three of you. So in our society, we often hear, um, unfortunately, you know, that Latino and Black fathers are absent. Uh, they're not, that they don't stay, they're not around, they're not a very strong presence in their in their children's life. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, what is your experience with that? Um, yeah, um, so I, I think, you know, in a way I was fortunate, my, my father, um, you know, I remember him volunteering to coach my little league baseball team. So he was he was on that level. And, and in the summers, he would try to take take me and my sister to, uh, you know, do fun things um, during our downtime. Um, I think the way to fix it is it, it's hard, I think, for some people. And it's something that I think I struggled with a little bit early on in fatherhood is just being intentional about making time. Um, because, you know, especially if you sort of are doing work that, you know, stretches you thin or you're doing multiple jobs or, um, or you know, relocating to new cities like I've done. Uh, a lot of times that becomes a focus is just to provide. And so um, I think just being intentional about, uh, you know, being there for, for your child. You know, I have, I have friends who, who, you know, who are also Latino um, and, you know, they, they make time, they, they make time or, or they, they're, they're there. I don't have much experience with the absentee father uh, situation. I don't, I don't think I have any close relationships with any, any, anyone who's experienced that, but I think that, um, I think the one thing though, that even being a father, being present, um, kind of happens on two levels. Like, like I said, you have to be intentional, I think, or like something that I'm working on is being intentional and being present because these kids grow so fast. So it's like, I feel like my child, my child was three when I moved here and now he's 11. And so to make sure like I spend time where it's just um, me and him just doing stuff, either like he's trying to do soccer. So I'll make sure like, hey, and I'm terrible at soccer, but I can, you know, look at a few YouTube videos and figure out, okay, let's just work on your hand-eye coordination or your foot, you know, coordination. We'll just go to the park and just like do things. But like to just really just try to make like, even if it's an hour, 45 minutes to just, you know, a day or something, just to make sure like I'm having like eye contact with them. I hear you. This is what's going on. So I think it's just it's just about being intentional and probably you know reading some self help books. But I think I think breaking generational traumas because like my I feel like my my grandpa from like what I've learned from my family like was sort of present but then not because he was always working and um, I think my dad took on some of that too. Like he he would come home late a lot because he had to commute to Juarez to work. 
like I and I think it was it was like the way they understood their roles as fathers was like well no, my number one priority is to work and therefore I have to be gone because if I'm not working then I can't provide for for you right although my, my dad was pretty present most of my most of my childhood but I think he could have been more had he not thought that he he was under like the pressure to consistently be the the like to think that he had to be the sole provider of of the house um financially i think i think then like so then when i become a dad it's like understanding that like okay there's also doing a lot of therapy and thinking about like well you know what what's most important to me what matters most to me i also became a father way later than than both my dad and my grandpa so i i had time i guess to think about this stuff but then also like like i've noticed that in at least in my family the the fathers are like not so great as fathers or they're okay as fathers but they're amazing grandparents and so my aunts and uncles on my dad's side talk about how like they were ignored and my dad was the golden child and they have all these resentments and i remember my grandpa was like just like so loving and and like doting on all his grandkids it was i always thought it was interesting i remember i said at his funeral like you know you have this 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 macho mexican man who like wants to look tough and um but then when he's with his grandkids he's like so loving and playful and and so um i know my my closest cousin he grew up without his father present but it was more my grandpa kind of became his father figure and my dad so it became more of a familial thing i think also like rethinking like um family and belonging and and familial bonds and like how people how like because it, it's such a stigma right to say like somebody grew up without their dad but then if like the family comes together and helps to raise the child then i think that's much better than than a father who wouldn't have been a good father or who would have struggled much more i don't know but um i think i think part of it is that is understanding that, like we pass these traumas down and then it's our job if we recognize it to do something about handling that trauma or doing our best to 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 break that that chain that's a very interesting idea that even if some children might not have their father present, the family comes along and fills that role, right? And differently, it could be uncles, it could be even other like abuelitas, other female roles, right? And, and uh, female um, family members that come along to fill that void that's unique about Latino culture in many ways that um, or extended family members in Latino culture that um, sometimes come to to step up, you know, for for those um, in those roles. So uh, my father was absent, um, but, you know, I think it, it starts with, you know, just communication between, you know, the men and women when they're getting together and, and responsibility of of, you know, you know, when they have a child. And I think that the tools are there now, and it's not frowned upon for men to get, um, you know, the help and, and, and the therapy. And, and, and those things are available now. Um, you know, I, I pay attention to the men in my family. And, you know, um, although I love them all, I know, you know, that we don't all do things right. You know, we all drop the ball. We all, you know, act a certain way. And, and it's not because we're bad people. But sometimes it's because that's how we were raised to believe things should be mm. and to educate to to unlearn those things sometimes uh is difficult because of being stubborn which is probably you know part of uh, the nature of the man who doesn't want to change um but 
but that's why therapy is there too, right? Uh, to help with that uh, unlearning and, and that struggle. Yeah, I think you uh, mentioned several things that are important, you know, to think about. Uh, one is, um, yeah, there is therapy, but there's still stigma within our community, right, to actually uh, make use of, especially for men, like men don't rare, you know, they don't choose that as their first <laughs> step towards understanding or or, or, or healing, right? Um, and the other thing is that um, something to explore a little bit more, right? So, so that maybe the increase um, in numbers of men that are not present in, in, in the family, right, is because um, women feel like they don't have to stay in a relationship that's not working um, as maybe uh, generations ago. Um, but it doesn't mean that those environments were necessarily healthy environments, right, for everybody, even for children. So I'm interested to I'm interested to hear uh, from each of you. So all of you are fathers, and you mentioned sort of how how you um, remember caring for that or building that orgullo of being Latino. Um, what lessons are you carrying on, you know, from from your own experiences into your children now, or what new approaches are you taking into? Um, sort of building that orgullo um, and fathering as Latino fathers. I think for me, uh, growing up, uh, you know, so my mother was was an immigrant uh, to to New Jersey, and she grew up speaking Spanish. And I just remember always sort of getting um, chastised by my by my aunts and by other folks like, "Oh, he doesn't speak Spanish. He doesn't speak Spanish." And so one of the things I, I was just determined to, well, my, my wife is, is from Mexico. So my wife is Mexican um, and she speaks uh, fluent Spanish. And one of the things I wanted to try to make sure is that my son sort of had like a base level of like growing up speaking Spanish. And because I felt like from that, he would be able to unlock sort of more of his culture as far as when we go back to Mexico City to visit family or or just being able to connect with that side of him. Um, so, you know, I, I don't live in like a fancy neighborhood that has like a dual language program. Um, Houston has like a weird thing where you have to kind of like get into a lottery. And if you get the lottery, then you can get into the school. So I was able to figure out a way of like getting him into a school as an ESL student so that he had um, classes that were taught in Spanish. And, and so now he's marked as like an English learner, but which is fine. Um, but he did, he does have like a way stronger base of Spanish than I had. Um, and now I'm also just like rethinking all this because it's like a colonizer language, but it's still sort of the main way to communicate when, when we go visit, you know, a large portion of his family. And he's able to talk to my mother in Spanish, which I know um, it, it just makes their connection even, even stronger. Um, so that that's that's sort of what what I feel like I've given to him or or sort of pushed um, for for his Latinidad in, in a way. I think um, I I very much knew that once I had kids that I wanted them to have um, the the to have the kind of knowledge that I wish was given to me. Um, so that by the time I I walked into the I I very I like. Looking back, I realized that when I went off to college at 18 years old, um, 
I went to a to a really really conservative, predominantly white um, private school, and um, I was I, I feel like my parents just kind of fed me to the lions. Like they took me, they dropped me off, and they're like, "Okay, cool." I had no understanding of like like structural racism, anything really. I just knew that there was like white people and black people, and that like Martin Luther King did something, and maybe Cesar Chavez did something else. And so like I had to, I struggled a lot, and I I it was it was rough. And um, I was like, I, I want my kids to have like knowledge. I, they need to know these things when they enter these situations. Um, and so like, kind of like, like um, Camilo, like when you talk about your dad, like the kinds of things that he made sure that you knew, that's, that's kind of the approach I took. I also wanted my kids to understand that, um, that, we, that it's important to recognize our indigenous heritage too. And so like one, one way that I did that is that I made sure that each of my kids had at least one name in Nahuatl. So, um, my oldest, her her middle name is um, Sochil, which means flower. The middle one is Witil, which is hummingbird, and then the our the our son is um, Atzin, which means which could translate to like um, special water or holy water. Um, and so, like I, because I thought like no matter what, they'll always carry that with them, and they'll understand that they have a link, um, as well as like just teaching these things and talking about like like race. So it, it was an interesting like it was interesting to try and figure out how to talk to my kids about race because like, you know, kids, it's, it's weird to them. They're like, well, my, my, my skin is, is, and they're like, my skin is, is not, is brown. I'm like, yes, sort of. Yes. You're, you're brown. And there's brown and black people. And they're like, I remember being a kid and being like, why do they call them black people? when like the skin, not all, it doesn't look black to me. It looks like dark brown or brown. And like my kids having those same situations and then having trouble differentiating whether their friends were white or not. And this still like happens, but like having to have those tricky conversations and talk about how, um, how all that works and how it functions and like making sure that my daughters especially know about like sexism and um, how there are going to be boys in their school who are going to be taught that girls are not as smart. And so, and, and hoping that I can, that we can give them enough knowledge so that they can answer back to those things right and so um yeah like and, and like watching like like history stuff and talking about history and um like just just i, I just feel like the most the most like if i can give you as much as possible like this knowledge so that when you walk into the world on your own you'll know what to possibly expect happening to you then um maybe it won't feel as traumatic as it did to me maybe you'll be able to manage it better so so for me um as a father now and what lessons uh want to carry or you know with our with my children i i think what i lacked growing up was communication and just uh being able to um have that open door policy as they say with a parent you know because uh again you know um talking about feelings was, was something that was not really uh an option like because you know you had to be strong and and you know, and and whatever, or or we came up with our own conclusions that that you know that's not something that's talked about, and so a lot of it was suppressed, um, and so with my daughter, it, it's it's tell me how you're feeling, you know, and and she's a teenager right now, and she's been through a lot, and and um, you know, she she uh, if she wants to cry, you know, I, I I let her know it's okay, and and you know just maybe just hanging out and and being present, letting her know it's cool and that I'm there if she wants to speak. 
speak to me that 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 I'm available for her and that's something that um I I want I want her to know that that it's okay to feel you know it's okay to feel it's okay um that along with you know talking to her about our families and and even and you know the 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 good and the bad parts of it you know um you know can't sugarcoat everything but but explain, you know, you know, things that happened in the in, in our family that that wasn't, uh, you know, very good. And then talk about the things that were wonderful, you know, and, and so so she knows that that's how families are. And so for me, it's just learning with her, you know, learning with my child as she grows, um, you know, and, and then learning from her the things that I didn't learn at her age. So it's, it kind of goes, you know, it kind of benefits me as well to, to know, you know, that with the things are happening, that, that it's okay to, to feel them, you know, um, and kind of living my, kind of living my childhood, you know, through her again, but with the experience of my life, be able to say, Hey, you know, this is where we could stop it or this is where uh this is what i did in life that helped me yes thank you thank you so much for this conversation and i i want to uh quiero felicitarlos no por el trabajo que están haciendo ustedes con sus hijos es importante eh, aprendiendo as we go right like uh we kind of have an understanding of how, how to parent and then we learn by doing <laughs> and hopefully by uh doing better than the, the generation before us right if if we if um if that's the case mm -hmm.